really quickly, uh, if you have your, your Bibles with you, and I hope that you have those this morning, uh, if you want, and I feel so uh, happy about saying this, we're going through an attribute series. It's been, it feels a little topical at times, which is fine. It's the attributes. But uh, we're going to do an attribute this morning, and I get to tell you, get your Bibles, turn with me in Exodus 34. Exodus 34. And so I feel a little bit more comfortable this morning with the text before us. And while you're looking for that, we'll be in Exodus 34, and we'll be looking at verses 10 through 16 together this morning. So Exodus 34, 10 through 16. While you're looking for that, I want to go ahead and and just kind of prep uh, this morning. Uh, the, the, The title of this morning's sermon is I Am, it's part of the I Am series, God is Jealous. God is Jealous. Now, what I want to say before I continue is this. Um, it's not that I always do this as a pastor. I try very hard not to do this. There's just sometimes you come to passages of Scripture where uh, maybe it grabs you a little bit more than other Sunday mornings. When you think of preaching, you think of uh, people, you think of God's glory. Oftentimes, the failure for most preachers is to think about themselves. And I don't mean like in a selfish way. I'm talking about when you arrive to a text of Scripture, go, hey, Maybe this Bible passage has something to say to you, Kyle. This morning, as I look at the topic that we'll be dealing with and and what this means for us as humanity and people, I am struck with the reality that, man, I need tremble this morning. I need tremble from this word personally. So in this morning's text, we will be coming to a name that is God's. In Scripture... The Lord God, as you know, is often named by character qualities. The things that he is represent him in his name. We know God, church. We know him by many names. We know him to be the king of kings. We know him to be given the name the Lord of lords. He's known as deliverer. We know him as redeemer. Oftentimes you've heard the name Jehovah Jireh, the God our provider. Jehovah Rapha. God, our healer. Jehovah Tzikinu. You go, what the world? God, our righteousness. God, the righteous. And the list can go on and on and on with the names of God when there's a quality about him that is his very name. However, out of all the names of God, out of all the names of God, there is one that oftentimes seems out of place for many Jehovah, Kana. Church, listen. God is jealous. The name of God, God is jealous. Now before I go further, let's go where we need to go. So if you have Exodus 34, you're looking in front of you at 10 through 16. Let us stand, if we can, in reverence of this word this morning. For it speaks where no man can speak. There is power in this word, and we do well to understand and recognize this. Exodus 34, 10 through 16, and God's word says this morning. And he said, God, he said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as never been created in all the earth, or in any nation, and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is 
an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive you out before the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars, the land to which you go, lest it become a snare. He says, you shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their Asherim. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. Let's pray once more. Father, help us to stand before this text and understand rightly what is before us. Help us to understand in regards to you being God jealous. That you have every right to be jealous. I pray that we would see it with, mere, with deeper understanding and clarity this morning. We do love you. We thank you. We need you. Be with us now. Amen. And you may be seated. Here this morning in Exodus 34, we learn a name of God. It says that our God is jealous. His name, his name is jealous, for our God is jealous. What I want you to first know this morning as we continue, that this is not an emotion. This is not something that comes and goes. It is not fickle like human jealousy is. In our text this morning, right here before our very eyes, in Exodus 34, it declares that this is literally the or a name of God. It's his name. It's an attribute of God which is a part of his very nature. It's a part of God's very nature. And yet, this is, if we're honest, this is not a view today that gets much playtime in our culture, is it? This is not a view of God and his name that we feel probably very much comfortable with as a culture and a society. However, this is often due to our lack of understanding, I believe, of the idea of jealousy as it pertains to God. You see, church, there is a real danger when formulating our ideas of God, we do so at the expense of or separated from this word. So if I'm to understand who God is, there's a real danger to do that away from the Bible, not, not close, not married to it, not, not, not with it deeply or, or very closely aligned to my views and my thoughts. Who is God? Hmm. Well, I'm going to go underneath a tree, and I'm going to go get me an icy from, from the sip and go, and I'm going to think about God, and I'm going to look at a bird and just think of him, and that's how I know God. There's nothing. To do so at the expense or separated from this word is to not understand, to get it wrong every time when it comes to God. Meaning we often view jealousy, this concept, in our fallen, sinful, and man-centered reality. Oftentimes, our jealousy and the jealousy which we speak is associated with envy. Maybe it's associated with being petty or needing something. 
uh, we think of insecurities oftentimes. And brothers and sisters, listen to me. This is not the jealousy of our God. This is not the same as what God experiences in the name which is jealous. I was going to show you a video clip this morning, church, from YouTube. And two reasons why I didn't is one, well, three reasons. One, it was blurry. All right. Two, there's some YouTube things where you're allowed to use things and not use things. And number three, I didn't want to depend on it. Amen? Does anybody hate technology? Th- thank you. There's two of us. Yeah, the old dinosaurs right here. Right here's one. There's a dinosaur. I hate technology. I hate it. It's good. It's wonderful. We, we thank God for it. But hey, look, I got the quotes right here. You ready? There was an interview done with Oprah Winfrey. I'm not, I feel like I've picked on Oprah Winfrey. Bless her heart. This is like the t- second sermon I've used in her in like three weeks. It's just mean. It's just plain mean. That's not my intention. It just so happens that I felt like this fits so well. In that clip, I was going to show you where she says something in an interview. And I'm going to quote Oprah Winfrey this morning, if that's okay with you. And it says, uh, the start of that quote, I quote, I happened to be sitting in church in my late 20s. And I was going to this church where they had to get there like 8 o'clock in the morning in order, or you couldn't get a good seat. And a very charismatic minister, and everybody was like, you know, into the sermon. And this great minister was preaching about how great God was and how omniscient and omnipresent. God is everything. And, and then he said, the Lord thy God is a jealous God. And I was, you know, caught up in the rapture of that moment until he said jealous. And then something struck me. And I was like 27 or 28, and I was thinking, God is all, God is omnipresent, and God is, and God is also jealous. Jealous? And God is jealous of me? And something about that didn't feel right in my spirit because I believe God is love and in all things, end quote. Sadly, and I say this very kindly, Oprah Winfrey walked away from biblical historical Christianity at the age of around 28 because she heard that God was jealous and that simply did not sit right with her. As if God was an egocentric in this version and form, God is an egocentric, a lesser, he's lesser for his focus of self-gratification and exaltation. She felt, Oprah felt, that it was far too small and petty for God to be jealous and frankly, to be jealous of her. Again, here is where a little more focus, this is where a little bit more study, maybe a little bit more uh, connection to his word would have helped a great deal. Not a little bit, a lot. When we seek to form our opinions about God, Away from this text, we're having to depend on things outside of the text, which is God's word, what God says of himself. We have to depend on what we say or what we feel or what we know. And that is never a good way and good, a good start in trying to defend, or excuse me, define and understand who God is. You see, Oprah's first problem with this idea of the jealousy of God is that she believed that God's jealousy was anthropomorphic. You go, what? What? Anthropomorphic, anthro meaning man, morphic meaning the scheme of, in the form of. She believed that God's jealousy, let me just make it really simple, that God's jealousy is a lot like ours. In the form, in the scheme of us. Which means to have human qualities. 
to, 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 to not steal from, but to use our imagery into God's. And what we just heard from Oprah this morning is a sad picture of the failings of seeking to make God like us. Starting with man, often ourselves, in order to understand God better. And brothers, I just want to say this real quick before I continue. That is always a wrong move. I, 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 I beg you, please, when you're trying to understand God, please don't do the mess up thing by starting with you in order to do it. Look at God in order to better understand yourself. Not study yourself in order to understand God, which oftentimes our culture has upside down. It is not a bigger version of God. It's a smaller version of God. Perhaps Oprah is actually offended by a jealous God because her view of God is far too small. Not because she thought her view was so much bigger. It is not bigger. God, like us, is always small. God, in our image, will always be a smaller version of who he is in God's image. Amen? This is absolute truth. God is often anthropomorphically illustrated in the Bible. It's true, meaning human tendency or human quality. But listen, while he represents himself anthropomorphically in Scripture, he is never anthropomorphic in nature. He's not like us. Now, that will get you in a lot of trouble today. A simple phrase, God is not like us. (gasps) How dare you? God is just like my Uncle Vinny. No, he's not. Praise the Lord. God is God and we are not. Amen? I mean, who can say amen with me? God is God, I am not. And you're saying amen because I said I am not. You're thinking Pastor Kyle. No, I'm talking about you too, right? Amen? He is, he's not. We're not. He is. You see, Scripture states that God has arms. We see that God has hands and fingers. He is seen as hearing, seeing, and smelling. However, We know from Scripture that God does not actually have arms and he does not have legs. The Bible specifically states of God that he is spirit and God is light. But it says, yeah, I know what it says. It's anthropomorphic in illustration but not in nature. You see, if we seek to apply our human understanding or assign human characteristics to God's arms specifically, we will fail greatly. Let me give you an example. Why? Scott, back here, who I will pray for you diligently for your Christmas music in November, right? Scott has arms. Did y'all know that? Scott has arms. And listen, God does not have Scott's arms. Amen? That's a big amen. I'm grateful that God's arms aren't Scott's arms. However, understand this, God also, he does not have Scott's anger, praise God. He does not have Scott's holiness. He does not have Scott's jealousy this morning. And same for any of us. Before before I start picking on Scott and everybody going amen because we look at Scott's arms or whatever, we go, yeah, (laughs) amen, I understand that. I'm talking about you too. Talking about Pastor Kyle up here as well, me, myself. Which means... God's jealousy is not motivated by insecurity. It's not motivated by anxiety. God's jealousy is not motivated by frustration, self-centeredness, pride, or ego. 
as is often the case with man's jealousy, whether it be Scott's or mine. And this is good news. You see, when we speak of God being jealous, it is always in relation to all his other attributes. And that's been a theme for us as we've been studying the attributes together. So I'm going to repeat myself once again. All of God's attributes help us to do what? Define all his attributes. To study God and all his attributes helps us to to study the one that we have before us. This morning, the fact that we know that God is holy, that God is righteous, that God is good, helps us to understand and qualify this morning his jealousy. Which means that when we speak of God's jealousy this morning, before we go on, it's this. God's jealousy is always righteous jealousy. God's jealousy is always holy jealousy. Listen, God's jealousy is never sinful jealousy. This too is good news. And this is something that I hope we can walk away and clearly understand together this morning. In order to do so, allow us to first understand what I have before us, two types of jealousy this morning. Two types. So if you have that up on the slide, go ahead and bring those up. There there are two types there that we will deal with this morning. And the first one is that we have a man-centric or sin-filled jealousy. That is something I wish for us to see. A man-centered, sin-filled jealousy. Is, is the, uh, are they working? Okay, just make sure. Just make sure. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And so there they are before you this morning, the two types. The number two is God-centric, righteous jealousy. God-centric, righteous jealousy. So let's look at number one first. Man-centric, sin-filled jealousy. It's the attitude that says, I want what you've got, and I hate you because I don't have it. When I think of jealousy in this form, in this, this, this motif, what happens is that type of jealousy can often be associated with covetousness. You know? He's got a nicer fishing boat than me. I want it. I like his car. I want it. That person just did this or has that. I need it. I got to have it. Such, I'm jealous for what someone else has. This type of jealousy that's often man-centric means it flows out of the heart of man. It never flows. It never, it never flows out of the heart of God. It's synonymous with envy, malice, insecurity, passions in the negative sense, and discontentment. I just want you to know, it's not, this type of jealousy is not to be associated with the self-obsessed, insecure, jilted lover, wild-eyed, when his wife or vice versa, his husband goes off to the store and she's looking at her watch and she's texting him, where are you at? Who are you talking with? Where have you been gone so long? I saw that you just spent some money, what are you doing? Which is what my wife does to me every single day of the week. So, she, listen, so she, she's got these tracking, you know this tracking thing you can do with your phone, right? Misty wants me to get on these tracking things where she knows where I'm at all times. She already knows when I'm spending a dime. I want to go hunting sometimes. I don't want to know my tree stand, okay? That's why. I just told them all myself. The issue here that we have before us this morning is that it's not of the, it's not of this, of the nature of someone who's just like jealous and like this weird, the thing that you call the police on because he's overbearing and he's rude and he's possessive and, he, and he's, he's just, or she is just wild-eyed, like, I'm, so, I'm jealous, where have you been? Where have you, why have you been? Nah. 
Brothers and sisters, listen to me. This is not a picture of God's jealousy. This is often associated with man's jealousy for sure, but this is not the picture of Christ's jealousy or God's jealousy in Christ. You see, Oprah Winfrey, if her first mistake was believing that God's jealousy is anthropomorphic, her second mistake was in her assertion that, and I quote, God is jealous of me. You may already know the answer, church. No, God is not jealous of Oprah Winfrey, and God is not jealous of any one of us in this room. He is jealous for us, for sure, but he is not jealous of us. Can I say that again? God is jealous for us, but God is not jealous of us. And these are two very, very important distinct realities. You see, God does not need you and God does not need me to feed his ego. As we learned last week, he had glory before you and I ever even existed. He beheld his own glory and it was fine. Remember, as we looked at last week, our God is also self-sufficient. Our God is self-sufficient. No, God is not jealous as we are jealous. What do we have? Truthfully, church, listen, what do we have that he wishes he had? Nothing. You answer too early. Let me keep going. What does God covet? What does God covet and grow in frustration over because we possess it and he cannot? Nothing. Let me me ask it a different way. I think of all the things that I have to offer God. And when I think about all the things I have to offer God, and I think of you too, is humanity all you have to offer God? You actually do have things that you can offer God. Did anybody tell you that? Well, let, me, let Pastor Kyle tell you that tonight, or today. You have things to offer God. Let me tell you what you offer God. You offer your sin. You offer your fallen nature. You offer your ability to lie. You offer him unrighteousness. What does God, what do we have that God needs or wants? The answer to that, Keith, is what? Nothing. No, listen, church. God is jealous for us, but God is never, he is never, let me say it three times, he is never jealous of us for what do we have that he doesn't have. And if we have something that he doesn't have, why would he ever want it from us? Which leads us to the second form of jealousy, which is seen, I believe, in our text this morning. Exodus 34 that we just read. This is the jealousy that is the name of God that we need to comprehend and understand. Not the first, the second. The second is this. It's a God-centric, it's a righteous jealousy. It's a zeal associated with a love relationship. It's associated with a spousal love relationship. It's, it's often seen in, in, in the, the very word, kana, uh, is a husband for a wife or vice versa, a wife for a husband. It, it, it's, it's a marital, it's a nuptial relationship of love. You see, this is a jealousy that is marked by love and purity. It's not to be seen as the aggressive, the insecure, and the possessive, sinful spouse as we looked at. However, it is a possessive. It is possessive. I I, I will admit, it is possessive. 
and it is protective, but listen, it is marked by loving pursuit, it is marked by desire, and it is marked by zeal. Uh, look with me, if you will, back at the, uh, the first uh, two uh, verses in our text this morning. If you look with me in 1 and 2, look what it says there. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant, meaning God speaking to the nation of Israel. He goes, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as never been created in all the earth or in any nation. You are a special people. You are a marked out for a purpose people. That's what God is saying here. He goes on to say, And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Now, what I want you to understand and see is that here you see within the text of Hebrew, Exodus 34 a union. It's a covenant. It actually says, I am making a covenant. Now, when you see the word covenant in our text, I want you to think, yes, yes, for the purpose of the context, we must. I want you to think of a covenant as this wedding ring. And so the covenant of marriage, we say the covenant of marriage, I need you to know that what you see in Exodus 34 is God with the covenant of marriage to the nation of Israel. I this day will be your God. I will be your groom and you shall be my bride and I will do great and wonderful things among you. Remember this, says God, here in Exodus 34. This is the context and I want you to hear, if I think I've got the quote up on the screen, I want you to hear what John Piper says of this covenant and this jealousy that God has as a spouse, as one who's married to another. John Piper said this, God is not jealous like an insecure employer who fears that his employees might get lured away by a better salary elsewhere. In other words, it is not insecurity. He goes on to say, God's jealousy is not the reflex of weakness or fear. Instead, God is jealous like a powerful and merciful king who takes a peasant girl from a life of shame. He forgives her, he marries her, and gives her not the chores of a slave, but the privileges of a wife, a queen. His jealousy does not rise from fear or weakness, but from a holy indignation at having his honor and power and mercy scorned by the faithlessness of a fickle spouse. Exodus 34 is saying, God who is good is being cheated on, is being cheated on by the ones he loved, the ones he saved, the ones he chooses to use, the one he enters into covenant marriage with. She's cheating on him with other lovers. You see this in verses 14 through 16. 14 says, where we get the name of God, for you shall worship no other God. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. And here it is defined and quantitated for us. Verse 14, for you sh uh, and verse 15, lest you make a covenant. See, a covenant has already been made. God said, I made a covenant with you. And it says in verse 15, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, the ones that you see up above that he was already pushing out for his bride, when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods. And you are invited and you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters and your sons and their daughters who's, who whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. Brothers and sisters, it's, it's pretty graphic. I don't have to go into much detail, right? Well, let, let me let Scripture give it a little bit of detail. I, I wondered if I should read this entirety of this text 
Brothers and sisters, if you just hold on with me for one second, please, please, let Exodus 34 point be made, not because John Piper even stated something or Pastor Kyle said it, but let me show you the imagery of the Old Testament where God himself says of this, his jealousy is kindled for his bride. In a minute, I hope that you're going to see that this is really good news. This is a good thing that God is jealous. But first, let me show you in Ezekiel 16, 1 through 22, and I'm going to read all 22 verses. And it says there, I want you to pay attention, church, to the imagery of this picture. So graphic is it in nature that I I can't think of a better picture of what is being expressed in in, uh, Exodus 34 this morning. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel. Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, thus saith the Lord God to Jerusalem. Listen to this. Your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. Stop. What you need to know first and foremost is God says, you weren't my people. You were a foreigner in a foreign land, not my people. And then he goes on to say, as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut. Nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field. You were abhorred on the day that you were born. Stop. God said, don't forget where you came from, Israel. And if it can't get any more graphic, let me tell you something. When you were born, out of the womb came you. No one cared for you. You were like that stillborn or that baby that was born, honestly, in the, in, 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 uh, in the city, in, in, in an alleyway where a woman literally takes that child and throws it into the dumpster. God says, you nation of Israel, you were a dumpster child. Thrown out into the open field where dogs and all those things could come and, and, and deal with you. Continues to go on in verse six. All of it. And when I passed by you, And saw you wallowing in your blood. I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown. Yet you were naked and bare. You were coming of age. And you were growing in beauty. But here's the problem. You were naked. God said, look what he says next. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and I covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into covenant with you. Brothers and sisters, stop right here in verse 8. It's marriage. God said, I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God. And you became, look with me, if you're not looking at it, and you became mine. Isn't this beautiful? And you became mine. Verse 9. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you with, and anointed you with oil. I clothed you and also embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring 
on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty and your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you declares the Lord God Almighty. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful picture. If only it had stopped there. But that's not the end of the story. Verse 15. But you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on all passerby. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made yourself colorful shrines and on them played the whore. The like has never been, nor has ever, will ever shall be. You also took your beautiful jewels of my gold and of my silver, which I gave, have given to you, and made yourself images of men, and with them you played the whore. And you took your embroidered garments to cover them and set my oil and my incense before them. Also my bread that I gave you, I fed you with fine flour and oil and honey. You set before them for a pleasing aroma, and so it was, declares the Lord God. And you took your son's and your daughters, whom you had borne to me, my children. And these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Remember the nation of Israel when they gave their children up to the worship of Moloch. Remember that? And they burned their children to death in the altar. God has not forgot. He saw everything. Were your whoring so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them? And all your abominations and all your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth where you were naked and bare, wallowing in your blood. End of the text. Brothers and sisters, not that, that's actually not the end of the text. You can keep reading if you want to in Ezekiel. I stopped at verse 22. I did that because I want you to see the picture. The picture is the same that we have before us in Exodus 34. Brothers, I have a question. Sisters, I have a question. Does God, who is creator, have no right to demand the love of those in whom he has bestowed all grace, all mercy, and all love upon? Is our God simply that small? Is our God simply that undeserving, church? John Calvin had put it this way. It's a beautiful picture of what we see here in Ezekiel 36, or excuse me, uh, Ezekiel 16. He said, As the pure and chaste a husband is, the more grievously he is offended when he sees his wife inclining to a rival, so the Lord, who has betrothed us to himself in truth, declares he burns with the hottest jealousy. Whenever neglecting the purity of his holy marriage, we defile ourselves with abominable lust, and especially when the worship of his deity, which ought to have been most carefully kept unimpaired, is transferred to another, defiling the nuptial couch. It is also interesting to me to, just to give you this picture this morning. All of the Mosaic references to God's jealousy in Scripture have to do with idol worship. Idolatry is loving something other than God. It is a cheating or an unfaithfulness on our parts to ascribe something, something, to something else that only belongs to God. And when this happens, God's jealousy is seen. God will not tolerate the worship of idols. And when people do worship idols, this brings about his wrath and righteously jealous anger. Let me show you in the text of Scripture. Exodus 20, Exodus 24 and 5 says this. Exodus 24 and 5. 
You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a what? Jealous God. Again in Psalm 58, 56 to 58. But they put God to the test and rebelled against the Most High. They did not keep his statutes. Like their ancestors, they were disloyal and faithless. As unreliable as a faulty bow, they angered him with their high places. They aroused. Look at this. They aroused. The, 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 the word here, aroused, means to awaken his jealousy with their idols. Our God, yes, is a jealous God. If a husband, brothers, if a husband or a sister with her husband sees another man or another woman flirting with their spouse. If, if I saw a man in the parking lot flirting with my wife and I knew what he was up to, brothers and sisters, would it be wrong for me to be jealous for my wife? Seriously, would it be wrong? No, that's a sinful thing, brother, to be jealous. She's my wife. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I must have missed something there. I, must have, I just forgot the last 20 years. That's, that's my wife. They say, well, it's rather, it's entirely inappropriate. Well, listen, listen, jealousy is a sin when it is a desire for something that does not already belong to you. It's, a, it's sinful. But listen, worship, praise, honor, and adoration belong to God alone. For he is the only truly worthy of it all. Therefore, God is rightly jealous when worship, praise, and honor, and adoration is given to idols whether it be something that we made or something in our own image. Because a lot of times in American Christianity, the idols of our own imagination and making isn't an image made of stone and rock. It's images made in our own mind when we apply God our own quality and attribute. We make God in our own image. That is idolatry. See, this is why it's important. God is not so much jealous for what you can give. He's not. He's not jealous of something that you withhold from him that he needs. You have nothing. However, listen, when it comes to this jealousy, it is more a concept of what you remove. It's what you steal. It's what you take from him. Listen, God is jealous of what rightly already belongs to him, and then we, in a sense, steal from him and give to another. God, in his jealousy, says, it belongs to me, mine, all glory. God will not share his glory with another, Scripture says. In Isaiah 42, 8, God says, I am the Lord. This is my name. My glory I give to no other. My praise to carved idols. Isaiah 48, 11, For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Interestingly, I guess after reading such passages as we just read right then, we might want to stand as human beings over God in judgment, right? That's what we do right now. We read the text that we looked at about God being jealous. We look at these two, Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 48, and we say at this moment, how dare God? Who does he think he is? His glory he will not share with another. That's self-seeking. That's egotistical. That's a me-centered God, right? We say in our culture, after all, sharing is caring. God cares for you so much that he's not willing to share with you. Do we understand this? And yet, and yet, let me say something really quick. 
away with this nonsense of God being jealous like some petty-minded miser. It is good news that God will not share his glory with you. It belongs to him alone. He is the God in whom we serve and we bow to, not him singing our praises. We sing his. So there's truth in that, but let me go a step further. I will tell you that honestly, if you go ahead and go ahead and give me that uh, graphic, it's fine. It's a graphic, it's simple. It's a graphic of the cross, but I want you to look at it as I say this. God has shared with you. God has shared with you. God shares with his, us, his son, Jesus Christ. God shares with his, his righteousness with us. He shares his spirit with us. And if we love and trust Christ and our only hope is him for salvation in the gospel, he even opens up heaven, allows us to sit at his table, and calls us child. Grace, mercy, and love. God gives of himself so that we may partake with him forever in eternity. God does not share. Please stop it. All God has ever done with me is share. And if he had not shared, I would not be a man who has any hope of salvation or life everlasting. Oh, I praise God that our God is a God who shares. I am grateful for this truth. Charles Spurgeon said, since he is the only God, the creator of heaven and earth, he cannot endure that any creature of his hands or fiction of a creature's imaginations, ours, should be thrust into his throne and be made to wear his crown. And to that I say amen, amen, and amen. You see, while we see God's jealousy associated with his wrath and his judgment, I also want you to see, as we stated earlier, I want you to understand something. I want you to focus in on it right here towards the end of the sermon this morning. Here's the focus. God's jealousy is actually a loving and beautiful reality. Church, let me say something. This is a statement, and I make it. I'll calm down because I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. So you've got to live with what you say. So take a deep breath. Scott would say, take a deep breath. Figure out if you want to say it before you say it. Church, you want God jealous. You want God jealous. Why? Because God's jealousy is manifested in his loving pursuit. I get really choked up about this because there's something here. God, in the book of Hosea, he compares his relationship with Israel to a marriage with a prostitute. Her name was Gomer. You know, this, you know the history of, of Hosea, right? That's all right, I'll tell you right now. Got to get there. No. Hosea was a prophet of God and he was commended or told to marry Gomer. Gomer is a woman who as she was married to Hosea, all she continued to do was run off to other lovers, ran to the bedside of other men. She played the prostitute, God's anointed prophet, was to marry a woman who was honestly always going to break his heart. That's all she ever did. And God constantly told Hosea, go after her. Pursue her. Hosea shows up one day at her slavery block where you pay for her redemption. And Hosea pays her fine and buys back his wife. What? She's mine. And he buys with his own money a wife who does nothing but cheat on him. I'll tell you where the tears come for me personally. 
When I was younger in my walk with Christianity, I would look at Hosea and I would feel so sorry for Hosea. And I think I would feel sorry for Hosea because I'm a husband and I'm married to a wife. And I thought to myself earlier on in my marriage, man, why does God hate Hosea? God really hates him. I'm glad. God, I wish God, oh God never calls me to do that. And I've already told you, if Misty ever left me, I'm going with her. It's never been an issue. Y'all keep an eye on her, though. <laughs> keep an eye on her and let me know if you hear anything. All right? I got a bag packed even right now. I used to think, poor Hosea, because I'm a husband and I know how that feels. I used to think I was Hosea in the story. I'm Gomer. God is Hosea. We are Gomer. We're not Hosea. We're not the righteous one who is just poor, pitiful us. Bad things are happening. No, God is the poor. He's not poor, pitiful, anything. But bad things happen to a really good and holy and honorable God. And we are Gomer. We're cheating on our lover or our husband with other lovers. And he comes and he pursues us and he loves us and he comes after us. God does not share. Get out of here. God shares. It's the picture of the gospel. It's the, this jealousy that God has for us. It's wooing. It's pursuing. It's self-sacrificial. God gives of himself in order to love us. It's his mercy. It's his grace. It's bestowing love. God is a jealous God, and I am so grateful that he's jealous for me and not of me. Amen? Pictures of marriage. Why is this jealousy so powerful and so important in marriage? Here's why. Because if there was no jealousy... If there was just a nonchalantness, it would mean a husband or a wife has no care. He or she is apathetic. He's indifferent, stoic, callous, or unattached. It is a meh. If I saw Misty out there in the parking lot flirting with another man, or I, she's in, a, she's in a, a restaurant with a guy, and they're feeding each other, which I'm going to tell you something now, Misty would never do that. She, she, look, she, uh-uh, she ain't feeding nobody, Right? But if it's the picture of, here, have it. And if y'all saw her doing that, and you came to me and said, hey, Kyle, I should let you know your wife was feeding another man some chocolates. And I went, yeah, it's all right. No big deal. She was holding his hand. Okay, yeah. Well, she's her own woman. Saw her kiss him. And do what she wants to do. I know what you're going to think. Your attention would be off of a Misty at that moment, and you'd say, whoa, whoa, he doesn't care. Oh, he doesn't love her anymore. Whoa. See, it is great news that God is jealous for us because when he's jealous for us, it's not meaning that it's something that we can give him. He's jealous in this. He, he's jealous for what already belongs to him. He has put a wedding ring upon it, and he said, she is my bride, and we of the church are his bride. And he says, it already belongs to me. And when he is jealous for us, brothers and sisters, we don't see God who is, he's not apathetic, he's not indifferent, he's not unattached. His jealousy, his jealousy in this picture, his jealousy is a pursuing jealousy. It's a, it's a pursuing reality. God is jealous for you. He is not jealous of you, and this is huge. And here's the conclusion this morning. In this we rejoice that our God is a jealous God, yes. 
Our God will not share his glory with another. And for the believer who truly understands the magnifold weight and power, the beauty of the gospel, God's mercy, God's grace, God's love, this is a wonderful truth for us this morning. He pursues and he finds you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. His grace and mercy is a wooing grace and mercy. If this love is something we find offensive, God forbid, if we find this offensive, if this jealousy for what is good and best in God's eyes calls us to question his goodness, sadly, we are not yet ready to receive the message of the gospel at all in saving trust, understanding, and on, in belief. Because if this type of jealousy and thought that we have brings a, we're offended by this jealous God, this defines our thoughts in behalf of God's jealousy like this one, it's a lot like Oprah's view of God as jealous. Some, we haven't actually seen God as we, he deserves to be seen and needs to be seen for us to have saving faith. No, God is not evil. He's not a miser. He's not covetousness. Covet. He does not covet. No, no, no. If we are offended with that view of God and we think that's what he is in his jealousy, let me, let me say this. It's because your God is not big. I say that with all the love I can muster. No, our God is still far too small. And he's still made in our image, away from the understanding of what Scripture says that he is in his character and attribute. Namely, this morning, he is jealous. He is far too small for us to worship him because our God is a big God who deserves all our worship, praise, and adoration. I say, colloquialism down here in the South, bless her heart, Oprah. She missed the entire point, and sadly, so do so many Christians, even today in Christianity. Please, friend, this morning, This morning, do not miss the point. Along with her, God is qualified. In other words, he's been, he's qualified, of course, but he's qualified, quantified, he's defined, and he's defined right here in his word. And let me say this. I didn't say it. We read it this morning. Exodus 34. Our God, his name is Jealous. Now this morning, I'm going to ask the music team to come on up. Some of you are jealous of my water bottle, and it's because I have something you don't have, all right? (laughs) Our God is a jealous God, and I'm grateful that he's jealous for us and not of us. Now, I have a question for you this morning as we sing. It's an opportunity for us to respond to our God. Are you jealous? Listen. Are you jealous for his glory? Are you jealous for his praise? Are you jealous for what belongs to God? And let me say something in all the kindness I can muster because I told you something before I started this morning. This sermon has to do with Kyle probably more than it has to do with any of you. You know how how easy it is for us to fall into this, this idolatry? If you're jealous for the glory of God, then please don't steal glory from God. Give back what already belongs to him. That's what he's jealous for.